Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Wednesday, December 6th, day 61 of the war with Hamas. Amanda Borchel Dan here with our military correspondent Emmanuel Fabian and settlements reporter Jeremy Sharon. Hello to you both. Hi, Amanda. Hi, Jeremy. Hi, Amanda. The IDF says fierce battles with Hamas operatives in the Gaza Strip continue. It also issued a rare apology for the death of a Lebanese soldier. Manny will fill us in on both of these topics, as well as an idea that's floated to flood terror tunnels with seawater. Jeremy is here and we'll learn about a school and homes that were demolished, as well as other violence against activists. All this and more when we're back. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachuk's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. As of this morning, 83 soldiers have died in the Gaza ground offensive as the Air Force carries out strikes against more than 250 targets over the past day. What is happening on the ground in Gaza right now? Uh, Right now, um, there is very heavy fighting between the IDF and uh, and Hamas uh, in a number of locations in Gaza. Uh, In northern Gaza, uh, we're talking about the Shuja'iyah and Jabalia um, areas, the Shuja'iya neighborhood of Gaza City and the Jabalia uh, city and refugee camp. The army is still uh, yet to c- completely capture those two uh, last areas in northern Gaza. It is uh, believed to be uh, within the next few days, maybe the next week, that will be completed. Um, there is heavy fighting there because when the army first entered Gaza, uh, it sort of surrounded Gaza City, and then many of these Hamas operatives fled to these two areas uh, and have remained there, and they are unable to flee to further south in Gaza. Uh, so there is believed to be quite a heavy um, sort of bolstering of Hamas forces in those two areas, so the, the fighting may last a bit longer. And in southern Gaza, um, since yesterday, the army began to move into Khan Yunus, um, it, it, this, this, uh, one of the southern cities of Gaza, um, Further south is, is Rafa. Um, uh, the army has surrounded Khan Yunus already. Uh, it very quickly moved into that area uh, and is already c- conducting operations uh, in Khan Yunus itself. Um, this came after we saw a, a few days of heavy airstrikes in Khan Yunus. We mentioned this on the podcast uh, over the week uh, weekend. Um, and right now the army is uh, targeting Hamas's 
what they call centers of gravity. So that would be uh, their strongholds, their military compounds. Uh, and this all comes at the same time while the army is instructing uh, Palestinians, civilians of certain neighborhoods of Khan Yunus uh, to evacuate, which will enable it to carry out heavier uh, operations there. Um, we don't know how quickly this uh, this operation in Khan Yunus will take. Uh, it all depends on how much resistance Hamas shows there and how many civilians actually evacuate. Uh, but that is where the main focus uh, of the army on the ground is right now. Many are there any indications that the civilians, the Gazan civilians, are actually paying attention to this interactive map that the IDF is using to warn them of where fighting may be? Uh, it does look like there is some some movement. Um, there were reports of many Palestinians moving further south towards Rafah. Um, the army also announced uh, this sort of humanitarian corridor. The the main um, north-south highway, Salah Adin, um, the army said that between Khan Yunus and areas of central Gaza uh, were, was considered a battle zone and un- it was just too dangerous for anyone to go through. So the army has also been facilitating a, uh, a bypass route via the coast. Uh, and it has reported that many Palestinians are using this uh, this route to evacuate from um, from southern Gaza to sort of central Gaza in the Dira Balakh area and vice versa as well. Um, so that there is some sort of movement, but we have to remember that these evacuations that the army is calling are not um, the mass evacuations that we saw in northern Gaza. They're much more limited um, it, with the amount of people that are being needed to move around. Uh, so that's why we're we're seeing less of these sort of you know fifty thousand people moving in one day uh, sorts of reports that we saw previously in northern Gaza. In terms of the playbook that the IDF is using in the south, it sounds very similar to what we saw in the north: uh, airstrikes surround the city and then target long, uh, huge strongholds. Would you agree with that? The yeah, the sort of the the way the army is operating is very similar, but uh, it does appear to be maybe slightly slower because of the way um, because there's so many civilians in southern Gaza Uh, so they're taking a lot more care Um, last night uh, the IDF spokesperson uh, uh, said that um, that that the army was showing the world that we can do um, I quote him he he said that we can uh, surround Khan Yunus and respect international law at the same time Uh, and that the map proves that the army is uh, making efforts to uh, prevent harm to, to civilians and um, the army needs this this time uh, it needs the international community to to be able to support israel's a- israel's action in gaza because it, the war is going to take a very long time uh, and for israel to have that time it needs the international support and it needs to show the world that it can manage this fighting without harming uh, palestinian civilians so that's why um sort of the the general operation of entering and surrounding and and targeting Hamas is the same but um the the uh, the way that the army is evacuating Palestinians is is a little bit different listeners for an hour long conversation on how the army is ethically and respectfully adhering to international law or at least trying to please check out a conversation i'm having with professor amichai cohen tonight it's for our community only manny one more question about the fighting on the ground in the north you're reporting heavy fighting and i always wonder if that is a way to prepare the israeli public for heavy casualties as well do you expect to see that it's a bit difficult to say. I mean, so far, uh, as of this morning, as of recording, we have um, the army has announced 83 soldiers killed in the Gaza Strip. Um, 
vast majority of them in, in northern Gaza. And that is since the the ground offensive was uh, launched in uh, late uh, October. Um, the last day uh, during this heavy fighting in uh, northern Gaza, um, uh, between Monday and, and Tuesday, we saw seven uh, IDF soldiers killed, uh, which is a, a relatively high number uh, compared to previous uh, days of fighting. Um, obviously, we hope that, that uh, soldiers aren't hurt, but... Uh, considering the um, the amount of Hamas forces that are believed to be uh, in these small now smaller strongholds of northern Gaza, uh, it does indicate that there may be uh, heavier casualties on the Israeli side as well. Let's turn to an idea that's being, forgive the pun, floated about uh, flooding the Gazan tunnels with the seawater. What do you know or what are you able to tell us about this idea? Well, I can only cite what was reported in international press. So the Wall Street Journal reported that, quoting U.S. officials, it said that um, the army had set up water pumps in uh, northern Gaza's Shati camp in Gaza City, and it was um, uh, preparing or at least beginning to uh, pump seawater into uh, certain tunnels uh, in northern Gaza, and it was using those uh, using this this method in order to render the tunnels uh, inoperable uh, in a certain way. The report said that it had not been decided whether it was implemented yet or it was uh, testing this um, sort of method. And uh, in Israel, we we aren't really allowed to report on it. Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, when he was asked about it last night in a press conference, he said that he wouldn't comment. But um, interestingly, the army chief, uh, Halevi, uh, said that it was a, quote, good idea, uh, hinting that maybe Israel is carrying this out. Um, when he spoke in his, in his press conference, he was asked about this, and he said that um, anything that gives us an advantage over Hamas, which uses the tunnels, and anything that can be used to destroy them, Israel, Israel will use, or at least evaluate uh, using um, but he would uh, would not comment on the specifics of the of these uh, water pumps uh, that would uh, essentially render the tunnels inoperable or at least attempt to collapse them or prevent Hamas fighters from actually entering them uh, during the fighting. Let's uh, close with your segment with an equally curious story. In a rare statement, the IDF on Tuesday expressed regret for killing a Lebanese soldier while striking a Hezbollah-linked target earlier in the day. What do you know about this apology? It is a very uh, rare apology. I mean, just so our listeners know, uh, Lebanon and Israel are technically in a state of war since forever. They are considered an enemy state uh, for both ways. Um, Lebanon considers Israel an enemy state. Israel considers Lebanon an enemy state. So the an apology by, by killing an, an enemy soldier is a bit... It's, it's very rare very unusual but it comes as israel has been um, engaged in fighting with hezbollah on the northern border hezbollah has been carrying out daily attacks sometimes dozens of attacks a day launching missiles and rockets at army positions at israeli towns yesterday as well there were several uh, several attacks uh, along the northern border i don't believe there was any injuries in any of those attacks yesterday and the army in response has been targeting uh, hezbollah cells hezbollah sites uh, so in one of these incidents, the army said that it, it identified a threat um, from a, a known Hezbollah launch uh, launch site and observation post 
um, uh, it identified what it believed was a cell preparing to carry out an attack. But when it targeted this, the, this area, uh, Lebanon's army then reported that uh, a soldier um, was killed and three others were wounded uh, in this strike. Um, the uh, UN peacekeeping force in, in southern Lebanon uh, also announced uh, this incident. Uh, and then the army then later apologized uh, for uh, killing a Lebanese soldier and said it would be investigating it. Personally, I don't think the army is ever going to investigate this. It doesn't really matter all that much. But the uh, the the apology is aimed at uh, sort of appeasing the UN and preventing some maybe escalation with the Lebanese army. Though I doubt that the Lebanese army has um, any intention of actually engaging in a conflict with Israel at this stage. Many thank you for all these updates. Thank you. We'll get to a short break. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Jeremy, a European Union-funded school in some 10 homes in a village of the South Hebron Hills region in the West Bank have been demolished by unknown parties. So tell us a little bit more about indications of who may have caused this destruction and why. Okay, so this this school was built, uh, I think, 2018, 2019, in the, the, the village or hamlet of Khirbet in the South Hebron, uh, the South Hebron Hills, which is in the southern West Bank. It's a community of Palestinian uh, sheep and goat herders. And it has been subject to um, repeated kind of harassment and violence, according to the villagers, by by local extremist settlers. Not only in the weeks since October seventh, but also in 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 the months uh, before October seventh. And in fact, the South Hebron Hills region has been known for years to be the, the wild west of of the West Bank, with um, uh, really extremist radical settlers harassing uh, and, and committing violence against the Palestinian residents of the area. Like I said, that's been going on for years. As we know, as we've, as we've talked about on the podcast before, uh, since October 7th, the, the, the attacks on Palestinian civilians in the West Bank, and I'm particularly talking about Area C of the West Bank, which is where Israel has full civilian and security control, but where there are uh, tens of thousands of Palestinians, I think uh, estimates range between 100 and 200,000 Palestinians in Area C, the attacks on communities in this region have um, have increased dramatically. And as a result of those attacks, we've seen uh, about a thousand Palestinians from 15 different communities, such as Khirbet Zanuta, abandon their homes and leave and go to different places, often back in areas A or B, just because the harassment has been so intense. So in Khirbet Zanuta, by the end of October, the villagers had basically had abandoned the, the, the village. They took everything they could with them because of, of ongoing attacks against them, um, destruction of their solar panels and, and um, water uh, water storage facilities, which is critical for them because they're not connected to the main grids on, on uh, for those utilities. So the, the situation got just, just too difficult and they left. Last week, some villagers came back and had a look at and to, to come and have a look at the village and see whether or not it was worthwhile for them to come back. 
they spoke with uh, uh, representatives of the IDF who said like they can't build anything or or restore anything from what it, uh, from what had been. And I'll, I'll particularly mention that they took off the corrugated iron roofs of their stone buildings um, because they could. That's something they could take with them for use in wherever they, wherever they, they they went to. But the IDF uh, officials who greeted them there said they can't even bring back and put on top the corrugated iron roofs, which mean it would be very difficult at all for them to come back. Regardless, after they met with the IDF officials, they they identified settlers coming out from one of the uh, uh, kind of illegal outposts in the region, Chavat Meitarim, in a white pickup truck. The pickup truck came up to Khirbat Zunuta, and there's video uh, video footage available. This these men basically started uh, young men, uh, very very young, started threatening the villagers and saying, you know, if you come back to live here, we'll we'll, we'll do a celebration for you. Don't you worry, we'll do a celebration. Uh, we're talking about veiled threats and not especially well veiled either so that was that was last wednesday so because the village is abandoned we don't not exactly sure when this destruction happened but when activists went on monday to, to also evaluate the situation at the village they noticed that 10 buildings 10 structures in the village had been uh, completely flattened and this eu school also utterly destroyed like the whole front of the building had been uh, had been completely knocked down major parts of the building um had be, had collapsed because the walls had been knocked down and there was also uh, graffiti on some of the the posts which had which had uh, which had been left standing, and the graffiti was stars of David. It's almost one hundred percent certain that this was done by extremist settlers. There's there is a settler in the Chavat Meitarim farm who actually has a tractor which he uses when he is asked by the IDF to do engineering tasks for the IDF, uh, such as blocking blocking uh, access roads to Palestinian towns, um, and that has happened a lot since October seventh uh, on the basis of security needs. And in fact, this settler I'm talking about uh, destroyed cisterns in, in the nearby village of Susia. And uh, when he was asked to block uh, block the access road to Susia uh, sometime in, in October, and that was actually something which the IDF did uh, provide Mira a response with. And they said he exceeded the boundaries of his task he was given when he basically destroyed the three water cisterns which uh, for Susia while also blocking the access roads. And I'll mention one other thing, a lawyer for, for the villagers after the incident on Wednesday, when they were threatened, a lawyer sent a letter to the head of the uh, Hebron District Police Department and to the uh, legal department of the of, of the IDF, saying these 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 villagers were were threatened, and uh, we we want to know what you're going to do to a uh, investigate the threats against uh, against these villagers because uh, threatening behaviour is in fact illegal, and b what are you going to do to protect them and their property. Uh, that letter was sent on Thursday, and by Monday, the uh, you know the the destruction in in the village had been carried out. So, so that is you know uh, just really a reflection of the lack of protection which is which is afforded uh, these these vulnerable communities, you know, and and their and their and their homes. So you mentioned the idea of activists protecting the Palestinian, and I assume that the activists are. Jews and Arabs, probably, who are trying to stave off as you as you have just described this kind of behavior. And one activist was uh, severely beaten while trying to protect a, a herding community in the northern West Bank. What have we heard about his case? Yes, so this is exactly the kind of attack. Um, which is the cause of these communities to to get up and and and, and flee and abandon their homes. So this actually was in um, the the other end of the West Bank, in the northern Jordan Jordan Valley, 
in a, a tiny hamlet called Farasia. Um, it's Farasia is home to about eight families. And they kind of, you know, it's it's almost more of an encampment. Uh, there are apparently families who live there year round, or some families come uh, come and go uh, on a seasonal basis. But um, what happened was that on in 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 the dead of night on on Sunday night, about two o'clock in the morning, actually, um, these activists, uh, Alex Povolovsky and two other activists with him, their names. That I don't have. I, I, I'm. I can't use their real names, um, but I'm going to call them Gavriel, who's age seventy, and Tull were with Alex, and they were there because they're part of a group of uh, 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 kind of a grouping called the Jordan Valley Activists, who are who who take it upon themselves. There's about sixty or seventy of them, and they do it in shifts, going to these different um, kind of small herding communities to um, to help protect them. And the way they protect them is really, really just to be a, a presence there um, in the face of these settler attacks. Why is that important? Because if these if these Palestinians um, phone the emergency services or the police and the IDF uh, during an attack, they are almost inevitably told that um, either that, that no one can come or they just told go and report the incident tomorrow morning uh, at the local police station, which is obviously completely unhelpful. And 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 it you know, doesn't do anything to protect the people at the time of the attack. So these so these activists go along to to these communities to 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 be a presence. So if they if there is an attack, these activists, as Israelis, will phone the authorities, and the authorities are much more likely in that case to send send a, a police force to send the IDF, and and actually do something uh during the attack so that's the that you know that's the, the, the it's not much protection but it is something now on sunday night um uh settlers from the from some of the, the local settlements in the northern uh, jordan valley including um allegedly rotem and including the illegal outpost of chavat asael um they came down to to uh to farasia and they came down with some tractor and with some kind of you know mechanized plow attached to the tractor and this whole area the, the you know the kind of the the territory is the, the land is just full of stones and rocks so this thing was kind of plowing up stones making a massive noise you remember there's no electricity in this hamlet so it's pitch black it's ter- the, the noise is terrifying stones are flying everywhere and one of the one of the activists uh, Gavriel um like i said he's a you know a pensioner and he he comes up to um the the tractor and 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 the bunch of uh, youths you know mostly kind of talking about 16 17 18 year olds he comes up to them and he says what's going on one of them takes out a pepper spray and literally sprays the sp- sprays the pepper spray directly into his eyes from you know point blank range um and and then you know completely incapacitating him he's like you know in agonizing pain then proceeds to you know uh, knee him uh in various parts of his torso with with uh, with kneecaps on apparently and uh he's kind of like collapses to the ground alex uh, alex then tells me that um he ca- he came you know running towards uh, towards Gavriel. Remember, he, he does also doesn't exactly know what's happening because it's the middle of the night, it's pitch black. He's just been woken up, um, so he's still kind of sleepy. So he sees Gavriel, you know, really in, in a lot of uh, distress. He throws himself on top of Gavriel because at this point they're also throwing rocks at Gavriel. Um, so he throws, he throws himself on Gavriel uh, to protect him. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, Alex himself gets uh, kicked 
uh, in the head and in the chest um, and beaten by, 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 according to Alex, the same person who assaulted Gavriel. And um, Alex has just left, you know, bleeding. He's got a terrible gash above his eye. He's bleeding everywhere. There's pictures of blood all over the ground, blood all over Alex's face. It's really a terrible uh, assault here. Jeremy, thank you so much for your update. Welcome. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Look out for another installment tomorrow. This episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have a question about this or other episodes, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. Until tomorrow, shalom. Shalom.